0: If you don't mind, I'd like us to go right to our scripture reading for the morning, and that's going to be found in John chapter 2, the Gospel of John chapter 2. I'm going to read it, but I would like for you to follow along and be very much a part of this. Um, I'm going to be reading this from the New Living Translation, and uh, hopefully you can follow with your Bible or your Bible app, whatever you might have there, or if the, um, if the Spirit moves you and you want to read with me, uh, just follow on the screen and I would enjoy having you join me. So John chapter 2, give everybody a moment, and I'm going to start at the very first verse. We're going to read through this story. The next day... There was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and I want to stop right there. Um, Obviously, Jesus and his mother and his disciples were invited, were made aware of this celebration that was going to take place, and they were there. I want to also make mention of this, that in this entire story, Jesus' mother's name is never mentioned. It just says, Jesus' mother. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem," Jesus replied. "My time has not yet come." I want to stop again. That particular saying in verse four and that whole uh, discourse there—it's <clears throat> related to what I'm going to say this morning. But I'm not going to go deeper than that because that's that—that uh, that is going to wait for a time when I can express what that means a little further. Matter of fact, a lot further. And he's not arguing with his mother. He's not being contentious. He's not disobedient. Uh, He's not being flippant. He's talking about another situation when he will be revealed as the true Messiah. But that is something that that will come later. Okay. Now, verse 5. But his mother told the servants, this is interesting, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, Fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, Now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over, saying, a host always serves the best wine first. Then, when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Miracle one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the power of your word. I pray it will penetrate every heart, mind, and soul in this place today and under the sound of this voice. And I pray, God, that your word, your Holy Spirit, your Salvation, your restoration, your miracle, will come to those who are in need, and to those who seek, and to those who look, and to those that are searching. May they find today their answer through this miracle. For we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Have to start with a question because it's just on my mind. I've been. Uh, I've been ruminating on this message for a long time and say, well, will I preach this or won't I? Will people ride with this or not? Will they get the message? Or are they more concerned with, well, was it real wine or was it not wine or was it really water or was it, Welch's grape juice or whatever? What was this anyway? So I want to ask you this question, which I want you to really think about. Does it seem strange to you that right here in the middle of the bible jesus would pick a wedding as a place to launch his earthly ministry maybe we could have a little discussion or a little discourse with him maybe even now jesus could 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 we could we have a word with you i mean maybe <clears throat> No, not to interfere here, but just maybe, Jesus, you should start out with something like maybe, like like healing a blind man. I mean, I think that would get you on the 6 o'clock news for sure. Now, yeah. or, well, maybe, Jesus, why, why don't you cleanse a leper? I mean, that's always a crowd pleaser right there. They'll love it. They'll just be, it'll, they'll be crazy about it. But then, if you really want them to stand up and take notice, why don't you raise somebody from the dead? That'll be the cincher right there. That cinches it for you. I mean, your career would be off to a flying start. I can hear the cheering. I can hear. I can see the standing ovation. I know your name will be in lights. You'll be the Time Man of the Year. I mean, this will do it for you. A long pause in our conversation. And then Jesus says this. You know what? I, I, I was thinking about turning water into wine. You what? 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 Why would anyone want to do a miracle like that? Why water into wine? We're going to find out why. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Now let's take a look. As we said, Jesus is attending a wedding. He's accompanied by Mary, his mother, and by his disciples. What were they doing? Well, you have to think of the customs of those days. And you have to think of the religious background or the setting here. But I think it's safe to say they were probably relaxing. They were probably happy to be away from the noise and the din and the crowd and, and those that would be rushing after a Jesus. And they're probably, just in our vernacular, we would say hey, they were kicking back. They're taking it easy. They were doing whatever invited guests at that time would do at a wedding. And they would adhere to the social norms of the day. We know that for sure. So Jesus was enjoying the day. He was enjoying the celebration of a man and a woman committing themselves to each other in marriage. Here's Jesus. Now let's let's think about this before you rush along and leave me in the dust. Let's just think about this. Here is Jesus the creator of all, the one who invented marriage. So wouldn't it only make sense that he would join in these festivities and be having having a great time of celebrating? It just makes sense that he would bless this young couple with his presence. That's right. Who is he anyway? Well, to them, he's a little-known carpenter from Nazareth, and now he's feasting and celebrating on this great time, this joyous occasion of this union of a man and a woman right here in the old Jewish tradition. But really, (laughs) really, water into wine? Why would the Messiah, the Son of God, the promise himself, the Savior of lost mankind, why would he begin his earthly ministry with such an unusual act? It's an interesting question, and it begs an answer. So let's think about it for a minute or two. Jesus performed his. Such a miracle, I believe, to bring happiness and joy to that celebration. That was the the in-the-moment thing. That was the immediate. That was the now thing. And also to celebrate the union of a man and a woman. Now, what Jesus did for this young couple in Cana shows me that God can and does intervene in our lives at any given time. And He provides us with exactly what we need. And He provides us with exactly what we need. So whatever it is you want, listen to me say this again because I think you forgot this. He provides us with exactly what we need. In fact, many times, he goes far beyond what we need. I mean, or what we even ever think to ask for. I mean, this was not some sort of sleight of hand. This wasn't some kind of black magic. It wasn't showmanship. This wasn't Ripley's Believe It or Not, and this wasn't uh, Barnum and Bailey Circus Act. This wasn't somebody dropping food coloring into those huge 30 gallon containers and calling it a miracle. No, 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 no. Let me just say this in advance Jesus created that water. Hello? Hello? How many had a drink of water this morning? You thought I was going to say wine. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell the ones that had the wine, they're already gone. Who do you think made that water? Yeah. We get things and we take them home from the store and we put them in the in the refrigerator or on the shelf, and then we look after a while at all the information on it who made it, where did it come from, who produced it, how long does it last? Well, for water, we just turn the tap. You never think about who made that, didn't you? See, he made the water. And he also created the finest of fine wine. Matter of fact, perfect wine. And he did it in an instant. You see, this was wine. And, and I've heard preachers over the years. I've been at this a long time. I've heard preachers over the year, years trying to decide what kind of wine was it? Was it intoxicating? Was it distilled? Was it? Where did it come from? What kind of grapes? Blah, blah, blah. Well, let me just explain the wine for you. By the way, that was what people drank in that day. They didn't drink the water. And they didn't drink to excess because the Bible is very clear on that part of it. So the wine, by every indication, had come from premium grapes and the grapes had grown on healthy vines and they'd soaked up that warm Middle East sun for a full season and then they were crushed in the wine press, remember Lucy? And then they they were stored in special skins or casks and they were aged to perfection. You know, there are people today who consider themselves to be more than wine mm, connoisseurs. They are sommeliers. Some of you have heard that word, right? A sommelier is just a wine waiter or a wine steward, but that's a fancy French name. Actually, it's a fancy French name that comes from the same French root, which means beast of burden. But anyway, I I don't expect you to know the French background. If you ever are surfing channels, which I'm sure none of you ever do, and you somehow end up on the food channel... Or something related to that. Or you just might see some guy take a wine glass, a goblet, with some tiny drops in it, or just a few drops, and take tiny sips out of that wine glass, just little sips, and then he'll swirl it around in the glass again, and he'll, then he'll exclaim to you, like he really doesn't know what he's talking about, all about its qualities, and he'll do it in some great detail, and, you, and you'll get hooked right into that. I mean, he'll tell you more about the wine than you ever wanted to know. And he'll tell you about its aroma. And he'll tell you about its bouquet. And he'll tell you about its satin finish. He'll tell you all those things. Sometimes we refer to people like this, not as sommeliers, but as wine snobs. But for some people... Wine is an elaborate science. Jesus Jesus created 180 gallons of absolutely superlative wine in the blink of an eye. I mean, faster than you or I could blink an eye. Now, if he'd wanted to, he could have turned the whole Sea of Galilee into the finest cabaret. Oh, don't laugh at that. Don't laugh at that. After all, one time he turned the entire Nile River, the great Nile River, into blood. Just go there and find Moses' words in Exodus chapter 7. (laughs) You know why all this can happen? Because Jesus is supernatural. That means he's above nature. You say, well, he did miracles for me and I can't explain it. Absolutely. I have people say to me, I don't believe in miracles. And I say, you'll never have one. It's about the supernatural, above nature. You think you can explain it? Of course you can. And if you can, it wasn't a miracle. Preachers have tried for hundreds of years to explain this, and all they do is kind of explain it away. But he limited this miracle to those six stone water pots at a wedding feast in Cana, yeah, a little backwater town of Cana of Galilee, Jesus said, fill those water pots. And verse 7 of our text here today in John 2 says, Fill the jars with water. And the servants did what they were told. Hey, this is interesting, isn't it, about a miracle? There is always a part for God to play and also a part for us to play. Those jugs and jars of water didn't get filled. They didn't get delivered to the Master of Ceremonies. I'm here to tell you, I doubt very strongly we'd be talking about a miracle today. The water was distributed, and it was dipped out to the Master of Ceremonies. Of course, it was turned to wine. By the way, I got thinking about this, having had some chemistry background in college. Jesus didn't have to find the the periodic table in order to complete the change of these hydrogen and oxygen molecules and whatever other ones happened to be in the mix. Listen, this was delivered to the man in charge of the celebration and he knew something extraordinary was up. He just took one sip can you imagine? We're out of wine. Totally, it's done. It's gone. We can't, we can't serve anybody else. This is an awful thing. And all of a sudden, he served from the water pots this unknown liquid, and he takes one sip, and he realizes, wow, something wonderful must have happened. And he's asking himself, these kids that brought me these water jars, what, what, how did they come up with this? Is this Kool-Aid? Do they really have Welch's grape juice? What, what is going on? 180 gallons. This was the best wine this man had ever tasted. And furthermore, it was the best wine he would ever taste. Hmm. Then a look of puzzlement must have come across. I'd like to have had, too bad we didn't have photography then, because I'd love to have seen the look on his face. You ever think of the things that are kind of under the surface in these stories? They're not in print, but you can you can add you can add it without hurting it and just like what would that have looked like? That man who's the MC of the whole show here and he gets this one sip of this new wine. Wow. Wow. He just didn't get it. What a scene. What a scene. What a scene. We must remember that usually a host serves, and it says there in Scripture, the best wine first. He went to the groom and said, you've chosen to keep the best till last, and everybody else has already had lots to drink. Friend, listen. Listen. God always saves the best for last. We don't get the best up front. It's just the way he does it. It's his plan. It's his timing. It's his way. It's his work. And you can contrast that very easily because the arch enemy, Satan, doesn't do it that way. Matter of fact, he does everything just the opposite. Satan has a motto too, and it's grab for the best right now while you can get it. And I'm very sad to report many, many, many people in our society, and even a lot of Christians, they're listening to that lie. The devil likes to bring out the big guns right from the beginning. He offers his most exciting and his most enticing and his most appealing stuff in the beginning, even in the beginning of life when we're young and immature. How many of you were ever young and immature? And you're not young anymore. Okay. And what I mean by that, there's a sign on my desk that says this, immaturity is when you're stupid. Maturity is when you are stupid and you know it. (laughs) It is amazing and very sad. Oh, how sad. How many young men and young women in every generation, I'm I'm talking now about promising people with a whole future of blessing and, and achievement probably ahead of them, futures that are filled with hope and promise and you name it, seriously hamper or destroy their own futures by willfully living lives of immorality and disobedience in defiance of God our Maker. I've noticed this after 76 uh, 76 years on the planet. I've noticed that every new generation that comes along acts as if they're the first to have to deal with the problems, the challenges, and the temptations which they're facing. Every new generation thinks this never happened to anybody before. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I got a news flash for you. I got news flash. Just this just in. The devil always offers his best up front. The serpent didn't take any time to describe the fruit on the tree. He just asked some questions, kind of like leading questions of doubt. Well, did God really say that? And the next thing you hear is chomp, chomp. Whatever that fruit was. doesn't say it was an apple. I prefer to think it was a pear on the ground. Three people got that. But later, on your way out, I'll explain that to you. Anyway, he knows how to do it. Don't sit here and think, oh, I've outsmarted the devil again. Oh, boy, Satan, you thought you were smart, don't you? He knows what works. Even as we reach these older age uh, uh, times of life and things start changing in our world and in our mind and so on, he can go to work on us, even though he hasn't had maybe a lot of success in other years, but boom, all of a sudden, We can come up with the weirdest ideas and theories. I'm just happy to tell you today, my Bible says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Now you say, why is Satan so powerful and so successful? Because he's had thousands of years to work his craft and he's got it down. He's got it right. He's got it right where he wants it. And by the way, the price is always too expensive for you, no matter who you are, or where you come from, no matter how strong you are or think you are. It's always too costly. So, what I want us to understand is that there are some real practical takeaways (laughs) from this miracle setting. And if you don't get a whole lot of what I've said up to this point, I hope you will get these, because these are takeaways that all of us, each of us can use. So, practical takeaways. First off, If Jesus, and I hate to say this, if Jesus could do this, and the reason I hate to say this is, well, I'll tell you. If he could perform this miracle, if he could take generic well water and completely change its molecular structure in a heartbeat or less, creating an exquisite wine so incredible, but it both startled and amazed an expert connoisseur, the sommelier, If Jesus could pull this off, and I'm not going to say that again because I hate saying if Jesus. There's no if when you talk about Jesus. Somebody in Scripture came to him and said, if you you wanted to, you could. No, there's no if in what Jesus is and what he can do. If Jesus could pull this off, then what situation in your life could possibly be too complex or too overwhelming for him? I'd like to know what that would be. And if that stops you in your tracks and stuns you like it did me when I first thought of that and wrote it down, then that's proof that God's working in your heart. I mean, what challenge of yours could possibly exceed this one? We find ourselves in some tangled combinations of distressing circumstances, and honestly, we feel like sometimes we're just way in over our heads. We don't even know where to hold on because we don't know how to get out of this hole. And we try and we explain it to God and we hope that somehow he'll understand all the complicated factors, somehow he'll understand. (laughs) We can barely comprehend ourselves, we don't even know who we are sometimes, we don't know where this came from, we don't know why we feel this way, we don't know how we got in this mess, I've heard more people say that. So Jesus could do this miracle, and if so, what situation in your life could possibly be too complex or overwhelming for him? Man, that's a sobering statement right there. What have you got that exceeds this? What have you got that's more tangled than this? What have you got that's better than this? Try to explain it. You try to... And and when people think that God doesn't understand, uh, Jesus doesn't understand tough situations, they need to go back and read the passion passage of Isaiah 53. And then they need to to read the the gospel accounts of the last days on earth of the Lord Jesus. So the second take take takeaway is this that first one is very heavy. But this one is very practical, too. Very, very practical. And when I say practical, I mean if you can't take it out of here and apply it to your life immediately and have change in your life, then it wasn't worth you even hearing. So hear me now. Here's the second practical takeaway that can change you. Jesus knows our situations. I'm going to repeat that. You're going to say it with me. But we're going to do it twice. Yep. First time. We're going to all say, Jesus knows our situations. And you're going to go... Yeah, yeah, woo, woo. Second time, we're going to say, Jesus knows my situations. It'll get quieter on the second one for sure. Okay. So let's all say that together, starting with our... Let's say, Jesus knows our situations. Beautiful. Now let's do it the second way. Jesus knows my situation. Now tell someone near you what you just told me. And that person might be your situation. I don't know. (laughs) You'll probably get it back if so. Can I just take it a step further? I love you people, and I want you to grab what I'm trying to say here. But I think there's no question in my mind why this is the first miracle in the public ministry. Because it's so practical. It met needs. It was something people could uh, identify with. It really would be akin to someone just, okay, we we ran out of water. Somebody's got to bring us water. I mean, same idea. He grasped our situation Jesus always grasps or get, takes hold of our situations in greater depth and in greater detail than we ever could. Listen, if we spent the next million years stressing about this thing, we still wouldn't understand it from his point of view. And that bears repeating too, and I, and, and I want to just say that again. Some of you are trying to take a note. He grasps our situations in greater depth and detail. Some of you really, I know, I'm close to some of you people, and you confide in me, and I know you need what I'm about to say. Jesus grasps your situation in greater depth and detail than you ever could if you spent from now for the next million years in stress over that situation. This miracle shows me a lot. I don't know what it shows you. But it shows me that Jesus is the master of every imaginable and even unimaginable situation. He's the master. That means... Yep, yep, you're going through it now in your head, aren't you? That means every situation right down to the most simple. Yep. You see, and and I was going to ask, how many of you have ever heard a message from a pulpit on John 2, 1 to 11? And I'd, I'd, I'd place a bet if I were a bet. I'm like, I mean... I mean, I wouldn't bet $10. I'm not a betting man. But I bet a dollar that there wouldn't be that many people in this room, if there are any, who've ever heard a message on water into wine, other than just trying to decide what kind of a drink was it really. Was Mr. Welch actually there? That's quite a story in itself. Every situation, right down to the most simple. And through this miracle, here's what Jesus shows us. And this is what what he proves without saying it, without anybody explaining it, without any undercurrent here. This is what he has at his immediate disposal always, 24-7 ad infinitum. He has unlimited power to do whatever he wants. Wow. Wow. Wow, think of that. That's the Jesus that lives inside of you, believer. He has the unlimited power to do whatever he wants, wherever he wants to do it, whenever he wants to do it. Wow, wow. Now, you may not need your tap water turned into wine. (laughs) Some of you kind of like that idea, don't you? Yeah. I don't know. You can ask him. I'm not going to handle that one. But understanding and tapping into God's unlimited strength and His unlimited wisdom and His unlimited power could be very important at times. Well, when? Well, when? Bob, what do you mean, when? I'll tell you when. I'll tell you when, when the medical report comes back. Hmm. I have bad news for you. That's not the report I want it. When your boss calls you into the office and he's not about to tell you about the office party that's going to be held next week, he's telling you that he's got to let you, got to let you go. He's making up all kinds of reasons for it, but he's going to let you go. <laughs> you ever been through that? Well, what about that unexpected bill? I, where did the, this came in the mail? What is it? Why? I'll tell you when you need that. I'll tell you when that and you need that unlimited strength, that unlimited wisdom, that unlimited power of Jesus working in your life and working in you and working around you and working for you when your child, when your child gets into some kind of trouble. And you always just take that like a mirror reflection. It's just like that's all reflecting back on you, and you take it personally, and you're about to give up. Or I'll tell you when you get slapped with some kind of unexpected lawsuit, and you really don't know why, but your mind just starts racing. I've been counseling some people this summer, and 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 just trying to—I don't give legal advice, but just trying to help them find what they need to uh, to settle a situation. Just. So much of this stuff does come and it's like it's unexpected. I wasn't thinking about this. I wasn't expecting this. I wasn't looking for this. Why, 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 why? Or why me? So now that I've got your attention, I want to let the Apostle Paul speak because, boy, does he speak. Over in Ephesians chapter 3, Just two verses I want to leave with you. If you're a note-taker, make sure you take this down or circle it or make a red mark or something. Paul's writing to the Ephesians, and in chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, here's what he says. I think we have it on the screen. I'm not sure. Now to him, thank you, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask Or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. I want to just stop there. Just think of what Paul is saying here. He's writing to these new Christians in Ephesus, and he says, Now to him, that's Jesus, who is able to do immeasurably more. What are you asking God for? Just to clear up some little situation of yours? Or it's big to you, but not to him? And and just, yeah, no, no, it says here, Paul says, he's able to do immeasurably more than you can ask for. What have you ever asked for? Or imagined, maybe you were afraid to ask, but you still imagine it happening. According to what? His power that is at work within us. You're not only carrying around the living Jesus, the Savior of the world, you're carrying around power that the world doesn't know anything about. And then in verse 21, Paul says, to Him, uh, to Jesus be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And I want to add, amen. This is the comfort I get, that's why I'm preaching this message today, in this lesson, miracle one. I get more comfort from this lesson than probably any other portion of Scripture or any other miracle that Jesus did, and they're all just off the chart. But this one, sometimes, so often, gets overlooked because it's the first one. Maybe it's inconsequential. Maybe it doesn't really matter. Maybe it's just a bunch of people drinking wine. And they're at a wedding, and woohoo! Boy, I get so much more out of this. He completely transforms the most snarled, the most knotted, the most complex situations of our lives. And then he accomplishes things beyond, listen to this, beyond our belief, beyond our hopes. Listen, listen, even beyond our ability to comprehend. If you could comprehend it and could explain it to me and know exactly what and how it happened, it wasn't a miracle. We're talking here about things that are beyond Our ability to comprehend. It is a great comfort today to know. And boy, we need to know some things today. We're living in tough times. No, it's not the end. No, it's not the shadow of Armageddon. Anybody uses those words. They've never read a Bible. But these are tough times. And because they're tough times globally, they're tough times individually. Anybody that denies that, that's what they are, a denier. But it's great comfort today. I'm going to underscore today to know this. (laughs) To know this. That nothing, and I mean absolutely nothing ever catches God by surprise. I know, some of you, you haven't been on the trail as long and, and don't maybe understand that as much, and that's fine. But you'll grow into that. Keep growing. Keep giving yourself a chance. But I just want to tell you, nothing catches God by surprise. Your parents might be surprised. Your spouse might be surprised. Your friends might be surprised. Half the world might be surprised. You might even be surprised yourself. But it never surprised God, never. And then there's a a little more comfort in this statement. Nothing limits his ability to intervene in our lives. And I use the word intervene because, because it can happen to anyone at any time, in any place, for any reason, think of the miracle at the marriage of Cana. At, at Cana, I can see how that chapter could have been like maybe three verses long. The man and woman were united in marriage. They had a celebration. They ran out of wine. Thus ends the story. Uh, Jesus, Mary, and the disciples fled the scene. Boy, we missed a lot if that were the case, right? Right? Oh, you're not getting this? Oh, I was afraid of that. We would have missed a lot if that was all there was to it, right? Yeah. Thank you, Bob. I'm glad you preached this today. It really means a lot to me. No, I'm talking to myself. See, whatever, whenever someone gets something, it's a blessing to me. But even if they don't, I, I, I never preach to just these people or these people or these people or all these people or the people up there or over there. I preach to all the people. So if you don't need it, sit back and enjoy yourself. I do. The great comfort I get from this is knowing that nothing ever catches God by surprise and nothing ever limits His ability to intervene in our lives. Now I wonder, have you ever said, Have you ever said, what is taking God so long? If you have on the count of three, just say yes. One, two, three. Okay. Well, remember this. Great little saying I heard not long ago. Your setbacks could just be God's Setups. He just might be setting you up for something grander, something greater, something inexplicable, or even something beyond your wildest imagination. Get ready, get ready, ready for your. Very special, miracle one. Amen. And let me just say theologically here, you can take this chapter and you can go a lot of different ways, even theologically, and I'm not making light of that. And you can get the significance of the wine over the water, you can get the significance of being filled with the wine, or being filled with the Holy Spirit, or All I'm talking about is the practical application of these takeaways that I've shared with you. If we'll remember these, and if we'll take them out of this place, and into our community, and into our lives, and into our everyday, we'll see things happen that we never, ever imagined. And for all of that, I just want to say to Jesus one more time, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you for miracle one let's pray oh dear jesus we thank you so much this is such an interesting experience in your life that just sets us ablaze we just we're so grateful there's so much to learn, and there's so much that we can experience ourselves, and there's so much you want us to know, and by the help and aid of your Holy Spirit, we know that we'll know those things as you lead us, but Lord, there's somebody here today who's looking for that miracle one in their life. There could be many people here who have just never really experienced that, and, and, and they're waiting on you, Lord. And they're in a moment of great need. And Lord, nothing comes to you as a surprise. Nothing comes to you as a shock. Nothing comes to you as, oh, nobody ever did that before. Nobody ever went there before. Nobody ever had this situation before. But you are the Lord and master of every situation. And for that, we give you praise. So we ask that you... By the power of your Holy Spirit, we'll work in every heart right now, transforming, working, changing, saving, and restoring. And we'll be careful again to praise you in everything forever and ever. Amen.